When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the DMVR Draft Pod presented by High Plains Strains, the Northeastern Colorado dispensary providing top quality cannabis and a wide variety of products. If you give them a visit, be sure to mention DMVR to take advantage of their deals. It's a cold one, folks. It's in the negatives. Uh, not much to do besides watch a ton of football, talk a ton of football. I'm Justin Michael. I'm joined by Jake Schwanitz of the DMVR Buffs Beat. I'm, of course, from the DMVR Rams Beat. Dre's busy, so he is out, and that's okay. We can kind of go on uh, in his absence. There's plenty to talk about. Uh, in this segment, we're going to dive into the national championship, kind of give our thoughts on that game. I will talk Jim Harbaugh. At the beginning, though, we got to talk just kind of the general college football news because a lot has been happening this week, starting with Cam Ward, who uh, apparently is coming back to college football after all had originally intended to declare will now be going to Miami. Instead, the mercenary for hire has officially found his landing spot. I don't know, man. What are your thoughts on this? Like, it seems like a guy that understands he's not going to be prioritized in the NFL draft. And frankly is like, I might as well go, you know, get a bag in Miami and probably live in a, in a loft and get a, you know, sports car and everything that comes with it. I think this is the first time I've ever seen someone undeclare from the NFL draft. Same. Um, I'm sure it's happened, but I can't think of it. Well, not definitely not a quarterback or like high profile like this, though. You know, like this is kind of it's just interesting all around. But Cam Ward's a good player, though. Um, 25 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year. So he improved on that mark, improved in completion percentage, improved in yardage. Um, I think this is a smart move for him. I mean, he's obviously collected a bag of some sorts or some kind of benefits. Um, so good for him. He's probably getting get going to get paid more than he would have been if he was drafted in the fourth or fifth round later, even in this uh, upcoming draft. So he's a fun player though, man. I'm excited to see uh, what he does at Miami. Uh, obviously going to be a slight tick up in talent that he plays with and against. So we'll see how he fares, but uh, a good year at Miami and you kind of bring that program back, you know, get close to 10 wins or something again, and you instantly elevate your draft stock. He's just a weird prospect. Like I've seen him play two really phenomenal games against CSU where I've, you know, I mean, it's not shocking that he had, you know, good games against the Rams, but I just mean games where I've seen him display the touch, the the ability to throw on the move, the ability to throw, you know, in tight windows, he obviously has a strong arm. But also, basically two years in a row, if you look at kind of what happened with Washington State, both as a team and really that offense, it, it just kind of came crumbling apart as the year went on. And I, I just have some hesitancy. He is a smaller guy. Uh, you know, when he takes hits, I wonder if, you know, is he going to be able to even last an entire season in the ACC? I mean, I, I know he's a tough guy, but I'm just kind of interested to see what that offensive situation looks like. Obviously, it's an important year for Cristobal where they kind of underachieved with the, you know, supposed talent that they had. They're one of those teams like Texas A&M that always seems to have, you know, a million four stars on on paper, but never seems to do much with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, if nothing else, you're getting more guaranteed money up front. I'm sure he's going to be living the life in Miami and you know, maybe with a, a phenomenal season, like a Heisman campaign type year, he's able to elevate his draft stock a little bit. I mean, I know he's going to be a, a year older and you're still going to have all the same concerns, but we have seen quarterbacks in recent trends, the the guys that have stuck around. It, it, it has benefited them. I mean, look at a guy like Bo Nix at Oregon. For sure. And um, I, I see where you're coming from with the concerns about him in the ACC. I mean, he did run quite a bit this last year at Washington State. I think he was sacked quite a bit too. So I think it's he kind of both meeting. sides of the coin. Yeah, he'll see more protection. He might be more risky because he's going to have better protection. But 
Um, he's a guy who I don't really see him as a run first quarterback. Um, he's definitely not that when you look at the stats, obviously, but like he's one of those guys that likes to scramble around behind the line of scrimmage to make plays happen. So um, he's a great watch. I love uh, putting on, I love putting on Washington state games just to check him out at least, but yeah, tough kind of final skid for the season. They did beat the hell out of CU. That was the game that Shador got hurt into. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is probably – I mean, there's been a lot of transfer portal activity at quarterback this offseason, but this is the one I think that intrigues me the most. And, you know, of all the guys who did transfer around in the portal, I think that Cam Ward might have the highest ceiling or the most to gain um, from going to his new position. You know, he's not a grad transfer. He's just come up through the levels throughout his career from Incarnate Ward. Now he plays in the Pac-12 at Wazoo, and then he's headed to the ACC. So we'll see how this all works out. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am curious to see what happens with UNLV transfer Jaden Maeva, who said he was coming back after it was reported that he was going to enter the portal. Then he did enter the portal committed to Georgia, then supposedly committed to USC. Now none of us really know where he's at. Mountain West Freshman of the Year, he's got a really intriguing future. I think he makes a lot more sense on the West Coast than he does in Athens, but we'll see. I don't know, man. The game's changing, that's for sure. Uh, the, The big news, though, obviously, of the week is Nick Saban, the GOAT, steps down. He retires in the the middle of our staff meeting which was tough for me to take i'm sitting here with a you know head full of you know my head's going a million miles an hour you know in my feels and trying to make sure that i'm paying attention um crazy i mean obviously a lot of people have had a lot of takes i do think that the recent trends and changes to the game probably played a, a role in kind of expediting this process but i also think you know coming off the coming off of this last season, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this was a phenomenal coaching job. He drug a team that had, you know, some top-end talent, but certainly was not as impressive as some of those other Bama teams to the title game after, you know, getting really kind of embarrassed by Texas and South Florida in that two-week stretch there. Uh, But what was your reaction to this, Jake? Like, were you surprised that Saban retired when he did? It seemed like... I don't know that the timing of it to me was certainly odd. Like I would have assumed it would have been like right after the year and they would have had a secession plan and all this, but it kind of just seems like a, a moment where he realized, you know, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. He had a, I don't know if you saw this, but he had an interview with Reese Davis um, like the day after it was announced and he was talking about the decision. And really he said like up until the team meeting, like five minutes before he was still back and forth on what he wanted to do. Uh, decided he was going to retire. Yeah, it was shocking for sure. I mean, anytime a figure like this steps down in any way, um, it's always kind of shocking because, I mean, this is what we've come to know as college football. Is Nick Saban in that crimson uh, with the A on the helmet or uh, A logo with the numbers on the helmet. I mean, so it's it's going to be a massive change. I mean, good luck to Kalen DeBoer. I think the saying is you don't want to be the guy who follows the guy. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who was supposed to be the guy. So um, it's going to, it's sending shockwaves already throughout the college football landscape. We already saw Isaiah bond enter the portal and commit to Texas. Like it's just been, I, I, I guess cutthroat is a word that you could use, but it's just, everything's moved really, really quickly with this. Um, so if, I know like for someone like you as a fan, you probably wanted to see it a bit more clean cut, like with a succession plan and all that, but it was pretty quick, man. Um, they got their guy, it seems too. So uh, DeBoer's done some great things at Washington. I'm very intrigued to see how he does here in Bama. Yeah, there's a lot of different angles to get in on this. Uh, first off, probably good to point out Isaiah Bond, a wide receiver to keep an eye on in the coming years. He's... Mm-hmm. It's probably the fastest player in the SEC, or if not one of the fastest players in the SEC this past season, had that huge uh, touchdown catch against Auburn. That's a huge loss for that offense, especially with a guy like Kalen DeBoer coming over, who's shown that he can take yeah. advantage of, of great talent. But I mean, that's the thing about these decisions. The coach steps down, the portal immediately opens for 30 days. You know, a lot of these players, they, they are immediately getting hit up, you know, by every big school in the country. It's hard to want them to stick around. And I think that is tough on these schools that they have to make these decisions so quickly now. Like it's 
it's not 10 years ago where you could take a week, you know, and interview some guys and kind of go back and forth. It's, you know, you basically got to put together a couple of candidates, offer them the job and, and get this thing figured out. Uh, allegedly or reportedly, I guess I should say, Dan Lanning of Oregon turned the job down, as did Steve Sarkeesian. Both of those guys make sense just given their ties. Um, what do you think, though, about the the hire of Kalen DeBoer? He's obviously a guy that's had a lot of success everywhere he's been. It's been a meteoric rise. I mean, in a half decade, he went from being a, a Mountain West offensive coordinator to a Big Ten OC to a head coach in the Pac-12 to now taking over for arguably the, the greatest head coach in college football history. Their offense was great. Um, it didn't really translate in the title game, and we'll kind of talk about that more on but what do you think i mean is this a guy that you think can win in the sdc given his track record given that he's proven that he can win at multiple levels at the same time we haven't seen a ton of outsiders go in there and and have success and we know how challenging it is to recruit down there yeah it's um look he's gonna he's not gonna be nick saban i think that's pretty clear um who could be alabama Exactly. That's I think that's going to be the hard part about all this is we're so used to seeing that team just winning and being in the playoff conversation literally ever since the playoff was created. Um, they were they've been running the SEC since he got there. And I think there's reason for hope and optimism. Absolutely. Like Kalen DeBoer, I think, is a great coach. Um, and I think he's someone who can succeed and thrive in this environment. It's just how are you going to manage this roster at this point? And I think to go back to your point about uh, when you were talking about how Isaiah Bond entered the portal and how all this is going to shake out, it's just becoming more and more clear to me that the college football calendar is kind of screwed up because the portal closes and Alabama is still practicing. They didn't even play the Rose Bowl when the portal closed, basically. Uh, I think it closed like that next Tuesday. So you have exit meetings and then the portal closes the next day. Like, that's not enough time for these kids who actually wanted to play at Alabama and then are maybe seeking another opportunity to go elsewhere. That's not enough time to make that decision. Um, so now that you're screwed because you can't go and get a lot of these guys or recruit a lot of these studs who went in the portal right away during that early portal period. Um, you're just hemorrhaging guys at this point because the portal is open for your guys to enter. Um, and you've got, you know, pieces in the portal still, but it's all been picked over already. You're basically going to have to wait till the spring for DeBoer to really get his hands and rebuild this roster. Um, I guess it helps that the Washington players have the portal open too. So if he wants to bring some guys over, he can. And you've already seen a lot of guys. Jabbar Muhammad already entered the portal. Uh, he was their best cornerback. So there's a lot of guys that are going to probably be following him over, but it's just a mess, this college football calendar. Anyways, I digress. Um <laughs> I'm I think you, it'll man. be it's fun. A, it's a big problem. It's a problem with the postseason. It's a problem. I think they've they've just got a lot of things to figure out. And yeah, you know, I I think a lot of these moves that have happened this offseason, I do think we are going to see some significant change because I think when guys like Nick Saban decide to walk away, when Kirby Smart elects to use his post game after the Orange Bowl to you know, monologue on how this sport needs to be improved and how it was such a travesty what, you know, occurred in, in that game. And he's right. Like, it, it's just, it's kind of a broken sport right now. Like, the postseason largely doesn't matter for 98% of the teams out there. It, it's guys are sitting out. It just, and this isn't like me trying to be an old man and being like, you know, these selfish players or anything like that. Like, it, they have no incentive to play at this point. Like these games don't matter to anybody. They're not getting paid. We've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out the recruiting calendar. We've got to figure out how to make the, the postseason matter. We've just, we've got to figure all of it out. Cause right now it's just a, it's a shame that we have such an awesome regular season. Maybe the greatest regular season in all of sports is college football. Mm -hmm. And then it just like ends. So like, eh, and I mean, your team obviously right. won the national championship. So you're, you're riding a little bit higher than most, but I think when you look across the whole, the sport as a whole, like this was definitely the, the worst bowl season that, that we've ever had. Yeah. It's been brutal. Like, I mean, I understand like all the, 
you know, everything you said, why it, like, it's just not fun to watch. But at the end of the day, it's just broken to me. Like, look, the portal closes. Saban leaves. So now the portal opens for Bama. They hired DeBoer. Now it opens for Washington. Now Washington's going to hire someone, and we can get into that. And it's probably going to open for another team. It's just all scattered. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't understand why we can't just wait until after the season is over to actually open the portal um, for everyone so that we have just this everyone at the same spot at one time. You know, just because you made a, a playoff and a bowl well, game. Maybe the portal needs fixed. to only be in the spring for and I know that's a disadvantage because they want to get these guys on campus. Yeah. But you're going to have to have some type of compromise to improve some of this, you know, like. I'm with you. I don't know, but they, they, they've clearly got to do something because when everybody is, you know, this disenfranchised, it's just, a, it's a tough spot. It's a tough spot. And it just, it looks messy from the outside looking in just, I mean, rosters are just being purged because these coaches uh, are making these decisions to leave and, you know, credit to them. You can go leave, do what you want, but now everyone's just like at a different point in the off season. And I know it's kind of just how it always is. Like in the NFL, you got to wait to, if you want to coach and you want to interview someone in the playoffs, you do have to wait. Like, I know there's some of that, yeah, but you still have free structured agency. free agency. Like how exactly. do you rebuild a roster if you're Washington at this point? And these are the things that like, honestly, like exactly. I've had a lot of college football fans mock me for when I talk about how I want more rules and structure. It's not that I'm anti-transfer. It's not that I'm anti-portal we just need structure and, and very strict guidelines to this process. Cause this whole, you know, wild, wild West that we have right now, where it's just tampering and poaching left and right. And the calendar doesn't make any sense. It's, it's an impossible spot. And you got to feel for like the Washington fans who are coming off of sure. this incredible season. They should be all pumped going into the big 10. And now it's like, God, I hope we can field a freaking team this fall. It's brutal. They got a transfer quarterback in Will Rogers. Um, and, you know, it looked like they were set to go into the Big Ten next year. And he leaves now because DeBoer has gone. And you don't blame him at all. But it's just like... And maybe he ends up in Tuscaloosa. Do? Like, we'll see what happens there. Sure. I mean, why not? And, you know, we'll, if you want to talk about Washington, we can get into that. Like, if they hire Jed Fish at uh, Arizona, he's probably taking Fafita and he's probably taking McMillan and a handful of other guys. So Arizona is going to be dealing with the same thing going into a new conference when all of a sudden they were looked at as one of the top teams in the big 12 because of their returning talent and because of their head coach. Um, I mean, it could, it could not be in Arizona. I'm just making an example there, but it's, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of things. And look, if anyone's reaped the benefits of the portal, it's been CU and me like covering this stuff, but it's still just, it doesn't make sense for you're basically being punished for being a good team. I feel like I just want structure, man. That's all I want. I want like free agency is a very regulated process. It's a very strict calendar. The the penalties for breaking the rules with free agency tampering in the NFL. It's a very serious deal. And right now, you know, I, again, I'm, sounding very much like an old man yelling at the sky, but I just like, I don't know how you're supposed to build a roster. I don't know how you're supposed to maintain a roster, the disparity in resources and the fact that nobody seems to get in trouble, except apparently now Florida state's going to get in trouble for NIL where again, it, it feels like they just randomly, you know, throw a dart at the board and pick one school to be like, Oh no. Yeah. We're, you know, see, we're paying attention, but it, it's just, it's broken. Like you said, um, We'll see what comes from all this, but let's let's probably move on. Um, who would be your favorite, I guess, to land at Washington? Would it be Jetfish? It sounds like Jetfish to me, just from everything I've gathered, seeing what the Arizona guys are saying. Um, they seem kind of worried, and that's putting it lightly. Um, Jetfish, I think, has a good relationship with the AD over there at Washington. I think they went to college together, so that's where the connection comes from. Uh, Ryan Grubb said he was out already. He was their offensive coordinator last year. He's not being retained there at all. So that's who I would think um, just off the top of my head. I mean, I've seen Lance Leopold a lot too. Uh, for the job, so too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's between those two guys. It's, it seems like they're going to make a decision here pretty quickly. It might be done by the time we publish this. You have to. I mean, if I was going to throw a G5 name out, maybe somebody like Barry Odom, who's already been a power five head coach. But I mean, I, I don't think he 
I don't think he would excite the fan base in the way that pulling Jed Fish from Arizona would. So I'm, I'm with you. He seems like the front runner. Um, let's get into the natty. But real quick, do want to shout out our homies over at Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge Brewery is great because they've got a beer for any occasion. Jake, what's your uh, what's your pick these days? I know you're a big Mountain Beach sour guy in general. Uh, is that still number one? Have you had anything else that's kind of piqued your interest? Oh man, I'm not gonna lie, bro. I still kind of hang on that Mountain Beach sour. Um, but Breckenridge, well, you know what great. you like. You know anything. what you like. You're a guy that, exactly. that knows his brand and he sticks to it. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if, if you're not feeling the the sour season, if you don't want to taste the summer in the heart of winter. You can always go with the classic Avalanche Amber Ale, especially coming off of that Avs 5-3 victory. Down 3-0, five straight goals. You can't stop us, baby. Bring that cup back to Denver. Uh, shout out to Breckenridge Brewery. They've been with us since the beginning. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. On top of that, we want to shout out our homies over at High Plains Strains. They, of course, are the official... Uh, dispensary of this podcast as well as the DNVR Rams podcast. They are the bee's knees. Check them out in northeastern Colorado. Order online at highplainstrains.com. Make sure you use that code or you can always just mention it in stores. Some of their deals include a full ounce for 80, Veritas 8s for 25, Mammoth 1 gram cartridges for 15 or exquisite extracts 4 for 40. Remember to use that code DNVR online or mention DNVR in stores to take advantage of these high plane strains deals. Also, they've got drive throughs which on a weekend like this, I mean, we're living in the future. You don't even have to get out of your car. Go get yourself some refreshments before the football games this afternoon. We're supposed to have three. We only have two. Hope everybody's staying warm out there, though. Anyways, high plane strains. Check them out. Use that code DNVR. The Natty, Jake. Have you, uh, are you still riding high? Have you, have you you still waking up and pinching yourself being like, is this real? Um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been awesome to see all this, uh, I guess second one technically in my lifetime, but still I was what, three years old when that one happened. So this is the first real one. Um, just, I, I keep going back to the Rose bowl though, the win over, uh, Alabama and just how that game, I mean, what a battle. Um, for both sides and how it came out kind of felt like the real national championship game in a way, but um, to be able to end Washington's run in that dominant fashion was amazing to see Michigan just so tough up front in the trenches on both sides of the ball. JJ did enough uh, to win this game. Blake Corm is just a stud. He's headed to the draft too. He announced this morning, JJ announced as well. So um, it's a little bittersweet with all that happening. We'll see what happens with Harbaugh, but yeah, just a great team. Best Michigan team I've ever seen. I do want to get into JJ and Corum's draft stock, and, and we will here momentarily. But before we do, I just kind of want to get some of your general takeaways from this game. Um, you mentioned the trenches, and, and that was certainly a big factor. Mich- Michigan finishes 15-0, and 0, and their dominance in the trenches on both sides, it was just a major part of that. To me, though, what changed this game was Donovan Edwards' speed. Like, I feel like they were prepared for... Yeah you know, kind of that Blake Corum, you know, three, four yards of carry. He's going to wear you down. And Corum had a great game too. But like Donovan Edwards going for over 100 yards on six carries and those two massive runs right off the bat. I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like they threw something at Washington that they weren't necessarily expecting right out of the gate, you know, kind of expecting more of that like slow, methodical, we're going to control possession. And, and they would have been completely fine doing that. But to get him to the edge twice and to, to have him basically go into the end zone untouched, it just felt like as soon as that happened the second time, it was like, all right, that's game over. Like they, they, They're just on a different level physically. Physically and just ability in the trenches, really. I mean, those runs were blocked up beautifully. There were massive lanes. There was no one in the way for Edwards. He was able to show off his speed finally this year. It wasn't, as you said, wasn't a big weapon for this team this season. Um, but kind of saved the season last year against Ohio State to go off in that game. So he's probably coming back. I'd assume he's coming back. Um, we'll see how much he's able to do in a lead role. Michigan's stacked with running backs at the moment as well. I mean, who knows? They lose their head coach. The portal opens for 30 days, right? And we all, we're all kind of in this, uh, this uh, holding pattern again. But we'll see. I mean, Donovan Edwards was game-changing. Uh, Blake Corm had a big run like that in the first half as well. 
um, Michigan just really punched them in the mouth. And I think it shook, uh, especially on the def- or the offensive side of the ball for Washington, how much they were getting dominated in the trenches. You saw, I think it was in the middle of the second quarter, they had like back-to-back snap infractions. Uh, Penix was getting hit. It was, they just really seemed rattled and rattled in that moment and credit to Washington. I think they really bounced back um, in the third quarter for sure. I mean, it was a tight game there. I know the score is 34 uh, 14 or 34 13 and it's a blowout at the end of the day, but still this was a tight game in the middle parts of it. And um, I think it's just credit to Michigan and how they held up in the trenches throughout the whole game and shout out to those guys, Donovan Edwards and Blake corner, man. They were awesome. The defensive line was awesome. I mean, obviously, Alabama had a ton of issues with the snap as well, though that was an issue that had been pretty consistent throughout the season. But I do think it was a factor just in terms of, you know, getting those offenses off of their rhythm, which is something that Michigan had really been able to do all year. And I know that a lot of those teams that they were beaten up on weren't that impressive. But you can only play the schedule that you have in front of you. And every time that they had a quality opponent in front of them, whether it be Penn State, who they just kind of ran it down their throat, or Ohio State, where they just kind of dominated all together. And then obviously these playoff games, like they were clearly the best team in the country. They were the best team in the country all season long. We had been on that from the beginning. I do think that when it was all said and done, Bama was probably the team just physically that could match up the best with them. And obviously they gave them, you know, a run for their money and having a coach like Nick Saban on the other side, maybe the greatest defensive mind of all time, that certainly helped their cause as well. But I want to shout out the Michigan defense, especially just because this is a Washington offense that we have seen just produce all year long. I mean, they had a couple of tough games there where it wasn't perfect and Penix had some human moments that probably cost him the Heisman when he would have been my pick just from the fact that they were able to to survive that gauntlet of a season. But I mean, they completely took the deep ball away. It wasn't even a factor. Yeah, um, it's it was a clinic in how you make a team one-dimensional. Uh, Michigan, we got to shout out Michigan secondary too because they played fantastic. Um, they Penix had that shot to Odunze. Um, They found space. I believe this was the second quarter. Also, that was really the only downfield chance uh, that this team was given up all game. Uh, Odunze did have a long one towards the end of the game as well, but it's like, man, it this was is well the team. in hand at that point. Exactly, but that—that's how they won games all year. Was explosive plays down the field, letting these receivers um, make plays down the sideline, over the middle of the field, or just run after the catch. And Michigan tackled well; they covered well. Um, they got to the ball as well. Three passes defensed. Um, they had that the interception at the end of the game, but the Will Johnson interception along the sideline was just an incredible play. Um, so they were just swarming all game, and. I think that the Dylan Johnson injury kind of played into this quite a bit too. You saw it at the end of the uh, um, the Texas game, the Sugar Bowl. He came up lame after uh, being tackled. And it was kind of when that happened, it was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, Penix is the guy and they make their bread with these receivers, obviously. But when you don't have a thousand yard rusher, a guy who punished Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, who really cemented that win, it just led in or just leaned into that one dimensional, um, the one dimensional offense that Washington really became. And it, honestly, credit to Michigan for making that happen. But Washington was a little shorthanded in this, I felt. It was a big factor. And obviously, it allowed that Michigan D line to kind of pin their ears back and get after him. I mean, the sack numbers weren't like huge. I think it was only like one or two, but they, I mean, they kicked his ass. Like they hit him all night long. And you could see at the end of the game, you know, the impact that that like kind of pass rush had had had. So again, just kind of credit yeah. Michigan for disrupting their rhythm and, and taking a, a Washington offense that when it gets rolling and they had some moments early there, you know, where it kind of looked like, all right, like this is going to be a shootout, but you know, they, they just adjusted so well. What's Michigan's defensive coordinator? Jesse Minter. Jesse Minter. That's right. I was drawing a blank on his name. I mean, the, the job that both coordinators did, honestly, you really got to credit yeah. Michigan this season. I mean, Harbaugh, I don't think people gave enough credit to Harbaugh. Um, obviously the sign stealing and all this stuff kind of clouded the season, but it's like 
he really transformed Michigan in the middle of his tenure. Um, remember when Shea Patterson was the quarterback at Michigan, they were really trying to run the spread, um, kind of go open five wide. They got away from this pound the ball type attitude that they, that Michigan's known for. Um, and I think, I can't remember what year it was. It was really around the COVID years when this shift happened. Um, after that, Michigan just came out, you know, two, three tight ends on the field, just bullying the ball down other people's throats, have back-to-back Joe Moore, uh, Joe Moore awards for the best offensive line in the country. Washington did win it this last year, but these guys have been, you know, they've been through this for a few years. You know, JJ's been at Michigan since he was an early enrollee, I think in 2020 also, like, that's what I kept thinking about this team is they've been tightening it together for so long. It seems like they've really made strides just as a team um, in their identity. And that's really what led to them getting this win on Monday. I mean, he really went back to his roots. Like he went back to what he yeah. did at Stanford, what he did at the university of San Diego, where, you know, he was able to win despite not having like, you know, the, the athletes out wide that other schools mm-hmm. are going to have. And I think it was a change that had to be made because you're not going to, very consistently like out athlete Ohio state, you know, especially at wide receiver and positions like that. What they did was they decided like, we're just going to kick everybody's ass. And I wonder how much of a a factor like Washington winning that award played into like Michigan being like, all right, like we're going to run it down your fucking throats. We'll show you the best O line. For sure, man. And I think it just goes to, to show what the championship winning formula is in college football. At all um, levels, to be honest, like if you can't, course. if you can't set the tone physically on, on both sides, but especially on that offensive side and, and you can't run the football and like get those key situations, I don't care. Like you can have the, the cutest quarterback in the world, like with all your know, cutest passing games, what I was trying to say, not quarterback, but you know, like it, it just, I love it, man. I love it when everybody's like trying to, you know, obsess over being the next Lincoln Riley. Like I'd way rather be the the next Jim Harbaugh, at least when it translates to winning, like you might not be sending six quarterbacks to the league in a decade, but if you're winning rings, who cares? I mean, it's, you've seen it at Bama, Georgia, they become a powerhouse because of it too. They just own the line of scrimmage. And uh, so yeah, credit to Harbaugh for, uh, I guess going back to his roots, like you said, and just realizing that that's the actual archetype to winning college football, just because there's so much, there's so many teams um, and talent isn't dispersed fairly. And when you're in Michigan, you just have to, that's just how you got to do it, man. You can try and get cute, like you said, and, you know, get all these athletes and get all this speed and get a big arm quarterback and try and just put up a hundred points on people. But at the end of the day, if you can't run the ball, if you can't control the run, and if you can't rush the passer and protect, that's what it all comes down to. You got to tackle too, man. Like that's the thing about tackle, some of these yeah. West Coast teams that as much as they're they're fun to watch, you need that physical identity. Um, we're going to wrap up with some thoughts on Harbaugh, whether we think he's going to go to the NFL, if he were to go, what the ideal landing spot would be. But I do think we should get into jj mccarthy's draft stock um which because this was such a weird year right like you go 15 and 0 you win the national championship he doesn't have the catastrophic plays that kill this team he also doesn't really have any big plays in the big moments to to elevate his draft stock in a way that he potentially could have in a year like this where you do run the table and you know you finally get over that hump I don't know. Where are you at with him, man? Because I know you're kind of frustrated with his, uh, you know, kind of limited processing. And I'm with you. I also think it's fair to say that he has great physical tools and maybe like he's a guy where he just needs more reps to like really kind of unleash that that next step for him. But I don't know, man. He is a tough eval because I think he's going to probably go like late first round or second round. And I don't know. I don't know if I would be comfortable like earlier than the third with him, just got, got, given you need him to make such a substantial leap in terms of what he's doing. Yeah. Um, I thought that throughout his time at Michigan, he had to be better if they were to ever win the national championship. Um, the first play in the Rose Bowl, where it was like a near pick for pick, him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that stuff is the things that stick out to me. 
Um, he he's almost he's kind of the quarterback I hate the most um, in terms of the the mold. Like he's that like uh, Bo Nix, like Brock Purdy type of college player where it's a little wild at times and they do rely on their athleticism a lot to get them out of these situations. And they do have the arms uh, to make plays. But at the time, at the same time, it's like, why did you make that throw? Like you just didn't like have to do that. And so I think the benefit of J.J. McCarthy is his age. Uh, very, very young player. So I, I think that definitely his best football is ahead of him. I mean, I don't want to take credit from him, but I don't think he was more of a trailer, not a tractor pulling this Michigan team, right? Um, I think we can all agree that Penix was the better quarterback this year. Um, so it's those are the things that make evaluations tough, especially – uh, coming into the NFL is just you have to look at what they did at college, obviously, but you have to also try to project. And with JJ, you project these traits, you project that his best football is ahead of him. You project that if he gets with a head coach who can kind of rein him in a bit, that you're going to have a very good football player. Um, but this is the type of prospect that, you know, can get people really in trouble. It can end regimes. It can get you fired uh, if it doesn't work out. But if it hits, man, it hits. He throws a pretty ball, man, and he's got a nice arm. But, yeah, I'm just with you. I I, I don't know. I see it. he's a prospect where I feel like if, if you make up your mind before, you're going to see what you want to see when you turn him on, which is like you're going to see two or three throws a game, which are yep. basically what you're just referencing, where it's, what what are you looking at, man? Like, why yep. why in the world would you force that? And then you'll see him, like, evade, you know, an edge rusher, and like throw just a dime off his back foot to a guy in traffic. And you're like, well, that was pretty damn impressive. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like the double pass in the Rose bowl. It's like how yeah, many quarterbacks just getting that, that off was impressive. Exactly. Um, he had the long run to the national title game. Um, Michigan was kind of stalling in the ground game and JJ just put it on his shoulders, broke off like a 20 yard run. And the athleticism was very evident there. So you see all these traits and, I think at the end of the day, that's just what you go back to. You know, when you're scouting and projecting for the NFL, you look at traits. You don't look at, you know, why he – well, that's not correct because you you do have to look at the why. But you don't look at each throw or you go look at the Penn State game and use that in your evaluation, you know. Don't, don't hold that stuff against him. Um, at the same time, you have to realize this guy isn't a finished product. You're going to have to take time to really get what you want out of this pick if you – if you pick him in the first round, I mean, you're kind of putting your stamp on it that this guy's going to be a good football player. So it's going to be very interesting to see not only where he lands, but um, where in the draft he gets picked, because I think it's going to be pretty telling for how his next team sees him at the next level. He's a tough, it's just like, he has the arm strength, but is he going to throw guys open at the next level? And I don't know, right. because we haven't had a chance to see him make those types of reads, you know, and it's just, it's a tough eval. It, it, obviously, we're kind of going in circles now, so I think we can move on. Uh, where are you at with Blake Corum? I mean, just an absolute stud, man. I, I love Blake Corum. Um, he's got one of the best, like, all-around packages, I think, at running back in this class in terms of the size. Um, kind of got that short, squatty build, but also has great explosion. You saw it in that national championship game, a touchdown, I think one of the last ones by the goal line. Um, he like kind of shifts through the line and he's at the five yard line and the way he explodes from the five yard line to get in the end zone, like it looked like someone could have caught him from behind, but he explodes so quickly that it's tough to just get him in a phone booth really. And he's super shifty, um, caught the ball a bit as well, has 56 career receptions and three receiving touchdowns. So this to me looks like an all around back. I think you do worry a little bit about the injury he suffered at the end of last season. Um, a lot of miles really on was. those tires. 675 carries in college football, man. That's that's a lot. Um, that's a fair amount more than a lot of guys who get drafted. I mean, what did Jameer Gibbs have last year um, at Alabama? Was he like a 300 touch guy for them last year? No, like I don't think. I think he probably had 300 between Georgia Tech and Bama. Exactly. So that's you know that could be the the thing that makes him not a first round player. Uh, but on talent alone, he's one of the best running backs, not the best in this entire class. I love him, man. He's just a downhill, like, th there's no situation in which I don't feel confident 
that he's going to pick me up a couple. I think he's faster than he gets credit for. I do think mm-hmm. he maybe has lost a little bit of that, like, oh man, he's gone that you see from Edwards. But I, I do think he's going to translate really well. Before we get out of here, I think we got to finish with the thoughts on Harbaugh. All season, you had kind of said you expect him back. Um, where are you mm-hmm. at now? Do you still feel that way? There's a lot of smoke, obviously, with him potentially jumping ship, going to the NFL. He finally accomplished the, you know, the goal of winning the Natty at the collegiate level. Does he now fixate on getting back and trying to win that Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a little more unsure now, especially after this morning once JJ left. I figured, you know, JJ comes back, Harbaugh's probably coming back too. Um, just looking at the openings on the NFL, I really don't know where he would think is a great opportunity. Um, it is a weird yeah. spot. I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't think the Chargers gig is as great as everyone tells no. it because they have terrible ownership. They have a quarterback who has all the physical tools, but frankly, a lot like Lawrence has kind of fell flat in every big moment he's had an opportunity to, at, at least as of now. Mm-hmm. You know, the Raiders, you know, that that comes with its own mess. And it seems like Pierce is probably going to be the guy there. Right. Chicago's sticking with Eberflus, I guess. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's a weird time to go. So, Carolina, I don't think, again, same thing with the Chargers thing. The ownership is kind of iffy at this point. Um, they do have a young quarterback, but there's a lot of rebuilding that has to happen there. I don't think he goes there. Um, the Chargers, you kind of laid it out. He went, man, he went through hell in San Francisco. Um, I know a lot of that was Trent Balky, the GM, but I think just that kind of three-way dispute between York, the owner, Balky, and Harbaugh, Uh, really soured him on that situation. So I think he's going to take a hard look at all that. He would get to get uh, a new GM in in Los Angeles with the Chargers if he goes there. The Raiders, I don't see it. So that leaves teams like Tennessee, uh, Seattle, Atlanta, and Washington. Uh, Washington's got new ownership. Um, I think Arthur Smith really wants to make a splash with this hire. Uh, Tennessee, kind of the same thing. I mean, it's just some wacky leadership decisions there, especially with the hire, uh, firing of Rabel. That would kind of give me a little pause. Um, and then Seattle, another team where, yeah, you could bring back Geno and you can, you know, kind of run it back again this next year. You've got great speed on the outside, some weapons too, and a fearsome defense. Um, so maybe that that's probably my favorite place for him to land in the moment. I don't know how interested Seattle is in him. Um but you're not, you know, he had a chance to be the Vikings head coach a few years ago. And I think we all knew that this roster, that roster was really talented. And we obviously saw what um, O'Connell did coming in. I mean, they made the playoffs immediately, won the division last year. Kind of a down year, obviously, with the Cousins thing. But I think it's it's a job like that where it's almost kind of set up for him to come in and win immediately. And he doesn't have to do too much, put all these pieces around him. That's what he's really looking for. I just don't really see it in this cycle, though. I'm with you, man. I don't love any of these situations. I do think Seattle would probably be the most attractive on paper. Uh, you got a chance to kind of get back at San Francisco, which maybe he would be down for yeah. as well. Uh, you know, I do think he is kind of petty like that, which I love. You know, I, I think it's fun. But I don't know. LA, I guess Herbert, the chance to it's the best quarterback out of all those situations. I still have some questions about whether he's going to be that guy. Obviously the physical tools are there. I could see a situation where he's like, you want to know what? I'm going to come in there. We'll rebuild the O-line. We're going to run the hell out of the football. And then we're just going to like rocket launch play action shots with Herbert's big arm and we'll make it work. He can be my JJ McCarthy game manager that I've had at Michigan. We'll see. I don't know. I, I think he's gone. Mostly because of, I think he's got to be just so sick of all the NCAA BS and, you know, the Big Ten, you know, even coming at him. Like, I understand why people are frustrated. They did break the rules. But if you don't think that sign stealing is happening in college football everywhere, like, I I promise you it is. It's just such a weird spot. With all that, though, he just went out and won the national title. Like, you come back. Um, you do need to get a new quarterback, but they did have an early enrollee, uh, their four-star Jaden Davis, 
in this last class. So um, there's kind of an already an heir apparent. And, you know, you have Donovan Edwards coming back. They've shown that they can do enough at wide receiver and recruiting. And then obviously the trenches at Michigan. Well, maybe um, he tries to go back to back too. Like, and what it's three straight over Ohio State? Does he have, like, maybe they want to get to five straight, you know? Like, so now you're bringing out the fan in me. Look, Jim Harbaugh <laughs> lives in Michigan, his alma mater, where he grew up watching his dad coach the Wolverines with his parents next door still. I just think it's going to take a lot for him to leave that. Um, obviously, he's the, he's went there and stuff, so it means that much to him. But his whole family's there. And I think he said that he wants to be wanted. And if you're going to get him a, pull him away from that job, you're going to have to give him a massive contract. I think you have to give him a lot of control. But at the same time, as I just finished saying, I don't think he wants to go into a rebuilding effort. I don't think he wants to spend three, four years trying to build a whole roster. I think he wants to go in there kind of like he did at San Francisco and try and compete right away. So he needs a quarterback. He needs a good team. Um, and he needs solid you know, decision makers around him. All right. Officially, give me your, your gut call. Harbaugh is coaching Michigan week one or he's in the pros. I still think he comes back. You still, th- that's, that's what you're going with. He's coming back. I think he comes back. Um, Even with JJ going. I mean, yeah. I don't think, I mean, now you're making me double think my, my initial well, reaction. I'm just, stuff. I'm just, you know, I'm going, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to see where you're at right now. Like I could, I could see it going either way. I do think that it would make a lot of sense if he wanted to go to, to the NFL now as like a natural jumping point, but I am with you on these gigs are not as desirable as the ones he potentially passed on over the last couple of years. Like Denver would have been a better gig, you know, it would have been a better gig with the Vikings the Giants a couple years ago, I think would be a better spot. Maybe Washington with new ownership is one we're kind of sleeping on mm-hmm. too much, especially because they have, you know, a, a top five pick. That I that would be the one I would throw out. Maybe Washington is the one we're sleeping on. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably 55, 45 on him coming back um, versus the NFL. So I could see it either way too. Um We'll, we'll find out. I mean, look, if, like, say Dallas loses, um, a team like that who's in the playoffs has a quarterback, has a lot of pieces around them, and they decide to part ways with Mike McCarthy. Like, that's a job that feels like a Jim Harbaugh fit for me, something like that where he just comes in and he just does things a little differently and it's enough to get them over the hump. That's the type of job I see, not really a rebuilding effort like a lot of these teams who have fired head coaches. Are there any other gigs outside of Dallas? Because Dallas is the most realistic one that would open up. If they, Green Bay, maybe. But I think the fact that they've had this late success with Jordan Love means they probably stick around with Lafleur. Um, I think Tampa, LA maybe? would be, LA would be intriguing. Maybe Sean McVay finally decides he wants to do. He whatever just goes away on his own terms, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's some Rams would be an interesting the spot. Right Obviously, they've got the money with Kroenke. Um, maybe keep an eye on Pittsburgh. I've heard some things that Tomlin's maybe not. That is so going sure through the rumors. Yeah, that he might so, be. That's the really. I mean, any other team that you can think of? Maybe if Buffalo feels like they're sick of McDermott, um, something like that. Like those are the type of jobs I see for Jim Harbaugh. Not a bottom, you know, of the barrel NFL franchise that he has to rebuild. Buffalo with Allen would make a ton of sense, but I don't see that job opening. Dallas, I think, is probably the only one that realistically opens with the playoff loss outside of getting embarrassed or a coach choosing to to step down under his own, you know, regards like a Tomlin or a McVay. And either of those would like be a, much better spots than any of these other jobs that are open. Sure. Like, man, who's to say Andy Reid's not going to finish anytime soon? Like, if there's an opening in a job like that, that's exactly where I think Harbaugh fits is places that have these quarterbacks coming in uh, or that have these quarterbacks established. So when he comes in, he has a guy that he can trust already there. I mean, people have thrown out, you know, if McCarthy leaves, he's going to draft him and develop him and stuff. But it's like, that's we just talked through that all. Like, if this is a project, this is something that's not a for sure thing. So. 
He loves JJ, but he would love himself some Patrick Mahomes <laughs> even more. Exactly. He called yeah, JJ I mean, the greatest college football quarterback of all time. What do you think he would call Patrick? Just the, the greatest <laughs> human that's ever lived? I, this is, I don't even want to think about it, Justin. We can't go down this path. I was throwing out hypotheticals, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope we didn't just speak that into existence. Although oh Andy Reid's such I a great so coach too. at this point, like, I would roll my dice on Harbaugh going there just because, like, if nothing else, a shakeup, like, who knows? Reed's on desk, maybe somebody else will struggle. Exactly. So I guess what it boils down to is I don't think these jobs are the caliber that he wants. And I think that maybe if he does go to the NFL, we just don't know or we just haven't seen that team open up their head coaching position yet. I think that's a good place to end it. Shout out to High Plains Strains. Make sure you use that code DNVR online or in stores. Stay warm out there, folks. It is dangerously cold. Uh, Don't go out unless you have to. Stay inside, watch some football, and, you know, be a red-blooded American like us. (laughs) Dre, we love you, man. Hope you're back next week. Shout out to everybody else. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be. I got blood on my shirt, like I wear my heart on my sleeve. She said I look good in red, but that went straight to my head. So now she's rocking my teeth, tucked into new prodigies. And we ain't spoken a month, but I just saw her last week. The lipstick stain still on my cheek, like we ain't talk enough. And we always seem to laugh, but never nod at us. So the future's looking grim, it's kinda ominous. And this song ain't about love, that'd be too obvious. See, this is more about lust and all of my misconceptions. And this is more about me and all of my self-deception. I'll tell myself a lie, 100 times don't need corrections. But every night I pray to God, I hope I learn my lesson. And the peaches out from Palisade. And they sweet as mama's marmalade. And this should sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. And my mama slapped that bass, and my sister sang these songs. Dancing hand in hand, we were tripping to left feet. Like a middle school slow dance, no one knew how to leave. But I'm still thankful for these days.